0: Hey everyone, before we start this podcast just want to give a little note of some things that happened after this podcast. So it sounds like as you're listening to the podcast we are going to develop an action on feral horses and wild horses And but after the podcast John actually got back with us and said everything's still good, the horses are being removed, we do not currently need an action. So that is on standby. However, this is a great podcast on the feral and wild horse situation with John Colazar. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. This is Charles with Howl for Wildlife. This is HowlCast, the Howl for Wildlife podcast. And today, this evening, we have on John Colazar. And John, you are in, you're in Arizona. Correct. And, um... You've been helping me, basically, on these issues surrounding the feral horses in Arizona for a few months now. How long? When? I don't it's been even six know when months
1: that... since we started this little war.
0: Six months. Okay, it's. I didn't realize it's been that long. That's crazy. So, um, I'm having John on this evening to discuss, you know, what we kind of originally did, um, and then where it's. Uh, where it's going what's going on right now currently and and all that so john you want to introduce yourself and um you know I don't, I don't know if you are you really a part of an organization or multiple <laughs> organizations or
1: um uh, my name is john colazar i am past president of arizona sportsman for wildlife conservation which is the 33 member groups that we talked about um i'm also current president of the arizona big game super raffle which we've been running for 16 years now. And then I'm past president of a couple other groups that, so basically I've been involved in conservation for the last 30 years in Arizona. Awesome.
0: So yeah, you know what? I, I don't even know if you and I ever had that conversation about no, what, yeah. what you were. Yeah. You just reached out to me and said, Hey, here's a bunch of info. And um, yeah, you've just been kind of the go-to guy feeding me information on, on, on how we, you know, can develop these actions and, and whatnot. So um so i guess it was six months ago um when you reached out to you, you wanted how for wildlife um to get involved with making our voices heard making everyone's voices heard um and reaching out to the was it the national forest uh at the time is that
1: yeah at the time what happened was there was a dedicated effort that I've been a part of for almost two years now to remove feral horses. And the difference between feral and wild, feral is means that there are horses in an area that has not or was not designated as a wild horse territory in 1971. And so consequently, anything outside of those boundaries is not a wild horse territory uh, or not a wild horse. They're considered unauthorized livestock. And we had been working with the Apache National Forest. And the Apache is kind of an interesting forest because it has the Apache slash sit graves and one's east and one's west. The west portion has a wild horse territory of 19,000 acres. And currently there's probably 2,000 horses in that, uh, but they've expanded way beyond the 19,000 acres. And that's undergoing a NEPA process that'll be addressed next year, hopefully for removal. On the east end, the Apache side, and both of these came about because of catastrophic fires in Arizona. We had the Rodeo-Chestsky which was the first of the huge fires back in 2001 and it burned basically 640,000 acre uh, square yeah 640,000 acres of land and with that came down a lot of the fences between the tribal White Mountain Apache tribal lands and the Sikyri's forest. And then in 2011 we had another catastrophic fire called the Wallow Fire, and that burned down everything on the east end. Consequently, horses from the tribal lands came over in droves, particularly after we did reseeding. And the nice thing was is that there were a lot of low riparian areas on the Apache side that the the horses came in in droves. And so we've been working with the Forest Service to have them removed for the last two years. Um, They went through all their steps, all the processes, and then all of a sudden they announced they were going to be removing it. Well, the horse advocates woke up and started screaming and calling and doing everything. And that's when I reached out to you to send comments to the Apache National Forest supporting the removal of the unauthorized livestock. You did that remarkably well. The team from Howell, all of the members did a great job, and it balanced off all the horse advocate people who called in. And I got to tell you right up front, I, I love horses. I've owned them in the past. I've boarded horses. I've ridden them. I've been bucked. I've been stomped. I've been kicked, everything under the sun. So, but I respect them as a great animal and they're a great tool when used properly. Yeah. Um, so, consequently, after we did that, then the politicians got involved and the politicians needed to hear from us. So, I reached out again to you and you buried Senator Sinema and Senator Kelly from the state of Arizona with comments that were so well put. Um, that even the forest service personnel couldn't, couldn't stop thanking us for all the work that had gone on. And this summer we started removing the horses and it wasn't without a lot of kicking and screaming. There was some law, lo- a lawsuit that was brought by the international society for protection of cruelty to wild horses and burrows. And that went to court in July. And by the end of July, I think it was July 28th, the decision by the judge for a temporary restraining order was denied and the Forest Service was receiving the acknowledgement to go ahead and remove horses. The litigation continued, and only yesterday was it made public that the litigants uh, decided to abandon their lawsuit because they have no legal leg to stand on. These are truly unauthorized livestock. That's the plus side of everything. Um, I sent you over some notes regarding the numbers of horses, and this is where the public is very badly misinformed. Mm -hmm. Part of the the numbers that everybody quotes um, is always the BLM statistic of anywhere from 82 to 88,000 horses in the West. All the politicians lean on that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of land in the West that is not BLM land. We've got national forests, we have monuments, we have state trust land, we have private lands and we have tribal lands, mm-hmm. and that is where the issue comes in. The Navajo Reservation is quoted as saying anywhere from eighty to ninety-five thousand horses on their reservation alone, and they recognize it as a huge issue. So, go ahead. So
0: when you when you say, <clears throat> well, first of all, there's a, and you've you've said feral horses and wild horses, and there's a big difference there with regards to, um, how we how we go about this yes uh and explain that real quick because there is there are some some laws surrounding wild horses and a feral horse basically on would you say unauthorized lives is essentially unauthorized livestock but explain that difference really quick just for everybody and, and why that matters right now
1: when in 1971 when they designated wild horse territories Each agency had to go out and do scoping on the land to determine if there were any horses on it, unbranded, unclaimed horses. And the Sitgreaves Forest found seven horses. They received a 19,000 acre designation as Wild Horse Territory. So any horse that's appeared on that side of the forest has automatically received a title of wild. On the Sitgreaves portion, there were no horses found in 1971 and not until the early 2000s did we see some leaky fences and then the wallow fire where they all came over. Because there were no horses found in that area, they are designated as unauthorized livestock. And each state has certain areas designated as wild horse territories, and that's the key. We found horses everywhere, and of course, burrows are a huge issue on the western side of our state. It is problematic. They're, they're consuming vast quantities of forage and they're basically the biggest water hoarders in the world. A stud in his band will sit on a water hole until it's bone dry in hot conditions. And that's becoming a huge issue out here in the West.
0: Right. And that's what's been, I was really unaware of the effects that horses can have. And you sent me, you sent me those pictures, mm-hmm. um, um, it's actually from Robin, right? I don't know if you want to get sure. into that, but yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so John, you sent me pictures that were from Robin Silver, who is mm-hmm. the president, current president of... He's the co-founder. What's, co-founder. He's
1: co-founder of the Center for Biological Diversity, former right, who, emergency room physician and yep. dedicated conservationist slash environmentalist. He and I were... Um, I was asked to sit on a governor's board for another horse issue down here in the valley called the Salt River Wild Horse Management Coalition. And we sat side by side for a year, and I began to develop (laughs) a healthy respect for his attitude uh, and for the way he treated people and his no nonsense approach to facts and what he called bullshit, and -hmm. he would do it on a regular basis um since that time we've stayed in touch over the last four years now and he was the i we were having a discussion one day about horses and i said have you been up in the apache side of the black river because no i haven't been up there in about 10 years i said do yourself a favor take a trip he went up and the photos that i sent to you were the ones he took and he was absolutely livid that the destruction had been that bad in riparian areas that hmm. is also Home to the New Mexico meadow jumping mouse. Mm-hmm. And when he found out what they had done to that fragile habitat, and it is a TE species, you know, it's threatened and endangered, and their habitat has been designated as such. That's when he instigated the lawsuit. Uh, and the forest response was to say, okay, we're going to remove horses. Now, they went in, there were also livestock at that time. And they presented the livestock to the White Mountain Apache Tribe, and they said, "Gladly, we'll take our cattle back." How, uh, on the other hand, when we asked them if they wanted their horses back, they said, uh, "Thank you, but no, thank you."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it became our issue.
0: Got it. And and that I think is is really important for people to understand um, how destructive horses at this magnitude can be, and what that means for. I mean, I never would have thought of a frog, but I think of like, you know, mule deer or elk and, you know, things that I, you know, that I care more about because mm-hmm. I hunt them and whatnot. And, um, from those pictures that you sent me, they doesn't seem like they have a lot of water left or food left, um, w- after those horses have come in and, and it looks like they just decimate, like they do. I mean, it's unreal.
1: Yeah, the hard part for people to imagine is is that if you take a look at a picture of a riparian stream in the mountains, and we're up at 8,000 feet up there, uh, it should be over grassy banks with water flowing cold water. When horses went in, they nuked it by eating everything in sight, including any willow trees or any, they stripped everything down. That in turn, then they degraded the banks, and that in turn left muck, and that in turn warmed the water. It's a very, very Hmm. select area for the Apache Trout recovery area. And we wanted others to join us, but Robin was the one who carried the ball. So you've got the Maricopa Audubon Society, who was part of that litigation, should have been Trout Unlimited, although I think I understand their national basis and they have a little reluctance to join in on something like that. But there were a number of species and then you saw the pictures of horses that were driving off um, elk from water holes so that they could have it themselves. But I've seen turkeys. I've seen antelope. I've seen deer, everything under the sun. If it comes in and humans, that's the sun. The funny thing is, is I've had false charges by the stud when you go into a water hole.
0: Yeah. Well, I, that is my only interaction with, with wild horses is I drew a tag, an antelope hunting tag in California some years ago. I don't know, maybe six years ago or something. And I <laughs> I had no idea because <laughs> there's cattle out there or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of free range um, mm-hmm. ranching going on. And I did not, I'm not from, Cal- I'm from Michigan. So I did not go blue. Think, yeah, right. <laughs> that there was wild horse. I saw these horses. I weren't thinking there were wild horses and I really knew nothing about wild horses. Well, I started stalking antelope. And I was charged by horses, and man, I have never been so scared because I'm out in the middle of just sage. There's no trees. Yep. there's nowhere for me to hide. and all of a sudden, I just never would have thought horses were gonna trample me. Well, that certainly almost happened on more than one occasion the uh the antelope I learned they hang out with the horses and sort of use them as it seems like they use them as as you know like sentry guards or whatever but they're right there feeding with them i'm like well there's no way i can't get close to the because as soon as the horses see me i don't know if they think you know because i'm crawling or whatever i don't know if they think i'm a coyote or whatnot man they line up and whoever the lead horse is bluff charging me that was something else that was my only um that was my only uh interaction uh with them i i, I learned a little bit about I, don't know, I knew a guy in the BLM and he said something yeah you know we can we can take them out when we want it, you know we can take them out but we don't because it causes so much uproar and upheaval that we just don't even deal with it however yeah I remember him saying me it's so expensive and they eat so much food and and all this and that was really until until you contacted me I, I I've just been completely Completely ignorant on on wild horses this has been this has been interesting um just backing up a little bit you said politicians they 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 rely on that
1: the blm the statistics. 80, the 80 yeah the,
0: the 82 000 why why is that why
1: you know i wish i could tell you i think it's because it's the only number that has a definitive figure to it because the blm is responsible for maintenance of these most of which BLM land is considered wild horse territory, but nobody does any investigations except um, like the, the Navajo tribe, they acknowledge they have horses. The Wallapi tribe in Arizona acknowledge they have horse issues and that horses have broken through. The White Mountain Apache tribe, they sort of acknowledge that they have horse issues, but they leave everything alone and fences have been repaired now because it's been long enough. And and by the way, when you have a forest fire, you can't repair fences for over five years. the reason is, is during the winter, if you repair a fence, all the trees are left standing after forest fires. They become prime deadfalls. And I've Mm -hmm. sat in a forest during an archery elk hunt and had trees toppling and they just go snap, snap, snap. And it sounds like a gunshot going off because there's that many trees that topple. It's like a domino. So if you repair a fence in December, you're done because when you get back out there in april or may they're all down so they do had to wait like five years for all the down trees and then they cleared it so okay. we're at the point now where we've got at least a barrier between the white mountain apache tribe and the east end which is the apache national forest
0: okay okay got it so i just i wanted to be clear on that because you're 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 saying the actual numbers are closer to three hundred thousand horses oh yeah and and but the kind of the advocates they like to use eighty two thousand because it just doesn't sound like it's as much. I mean, they're trying. Yeah, okay, correct. They're, they're trying to sort of stray away from the the larger problem.
1: Yeah, and um, there's there's with, also a couple other groups that have put it as low as thirty three thousand, and they're claiming that they were facing extinction. Which, if it weren't so laughable, um <clears throat> it, it's wow. just crazy. But you yeah. cannot ever tell a horse advocate. That there's too many horses. They just will not and cannot believe that. And they will not ever authorize a horse being put down.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's important to we need to know how many horses there are in the and the effects that they are having. Cause you don't you don't want to be in the position where you're like anti-horse. Like no. you said earlier, you're not anti-horse. You respect horses. However, they need to be, they need to be managed. And what about your if you're just focusing on the horses, you're really, you're ignoring the issues that, you know, mule deer, turkey, frogs, everything else is facing because of them. And that's, that's not, that's not responsible. It's, it seems like, um, the supporters of what do we call it? Better horse management. I, I don't know. What's the, what,
1: a good horse management plan.
0: Okay. They, this is everybody. This is environmentalists. This is, you know, like you said, the CBD, this is hunters, it's sportsmen. It runs, it does run the gamut. Correct. Um, which is interesting because that's, that's not usually the case on a lot of these issues, but I think well, it's we- in, important to, to recognize that, that this isn't just hunters saying this, and it's not just an environmental group saying this, um, It's the, the, the people who are in support of better horse management are looking at the bigger picture of overall better wildlife.
1: And that's a key. I mean, it's not only wildlife, it's habitat, the degradation. We have a place here called the salt river wild horse management area, and they have over 400 horses in 19,000 acres. That land is nuked. I mean, literally nuked. You can't find a blade of grass in there. And the public loves seeing horses. The problem is the public is incredibly naive. These horses are fed manually day after day after day now because there's no food left. And I mean, they bring in truckloads of of what is supposed to be wheat free alfalfa and hay to feed the horses. That's not a wild horse. Those horses will tag along behind any pickup truck that they see thinking it's food time. Right me that's not wild montana has wild horses where you go up into montana and a wild horse sees you a stud with his band at a half a mile away they're they're running the other direction as fast as they can hmm. the horses that we see here in arizona and in many instances if you've got food or water they're going to come right up to you that's because the way that uh, the habituation that we've seen by humans interaction with horses has taken the wild out of them And that's a tragedy for the horses, and it's a danger for the humans as well.
0: Mm -hmm. It's kind of like... a
1: charged again and again and again.
0: Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to, as you were talking, there was a bunch of things that, that came up there. I don't know if you remember where you sort of left off, but, you know, so we... You know you say it was how i mean we provided the platform for people to be able to take action and you know it there was a lot of people that uh that took action and you know was louder than the other side even um so that was great but now there's been some removal and mm-hmm. then and then where are we what's what's going on now
1: uh, the nice thing is is that everything is budgeted by the forest service of course Oh, and
0: let me let me when you when we say removal. So explain
1: how they remove um,
0: them, how they remove them, and then what happens, and you know all that. Because I know people are gonna, you know, ask what are you doing, just shooting them, or you, you know whatever. People want to know what happens. Oh,
1: look. <laughs> shooting horses is n- yeah. not anything you'd ever want to say or do because you're. Yeah. And at that point, you are public enemy number one. Yeah. You know, The interesting thing about these horses here in the Apache Forest is is. I mean, this is a summer campgrounds area all across the mountains. People get up to, you know, and they they come down to the lake and water where people are fishing. What happened was they hired a contractor and Jackie and I are friends. She was part of the Salt River Wild Horse Collaborative. So we've all kind of been a team together. And what they're doing is, is they're baiting them and they put in a round pen with one gate open hmm. and a cowboy sits there and sometimes he'll park his truck there and sit in the truck and watch They'll come in and they'll start eating all the alfalfa and the sweet feed or water that they've put in there. And he just gets out, closes the gate and there's 10 horses inside. They open the gate when they have the trailer there, they herd them into the trailer and they haul them off to a facility for holding. At the facility for holding, they're examined, vetted, made sure everything's okay with them, separated. Sometimes you'll get a rank stud that will just want to destroy everything in sight. You want to, you want to cut him out of that group Mm -hmm. put him off by himself after they've done that the jackie now holds the horses from anywhere from 20 to 30 days and then she has an online auction and if anybody wants to buy a horse you go into this online auction and you're able to bid on the horses and quite frankly they go anywhere from 100 to the most i've heard as of yesterday was sixteen hundred dollars for a horse okay. but most of the time it's 100 to three hundred dollars that people are bidding on these horses
0: is there and the and what are people doing are they breaking the horses you know to what is their concern you know after you know what happens to these horses afterwards I mean I know it's not your responsibility or any else anybody else's responsibility is there criteria for who can buy them?
1: Well, they try um, what, and vet the people. They want to okay. know who your vets are and that kind of thing. And they want to know, they, they inquire a little bit. Um, for the most part, we know who most of the buyers are. Uh, Simone Netherlands, who runs her wild horse group here and in, in, down in the uh, Salt River Basin, she's bought 20 horses out of the 55 that have been sold already.
0: Okay. Um,
1: no, she, She's actually bought more than that. I think she's bought probably 30 out of the 70 that have been sold to date. Okay. Uh, she does not want people to ride them. She wants them left, quote unquote, free. Sure. I mean, I there is no territory to put them. There is no land to put them. Uh, I've watched Jackie. She's got a training film. She was able to take a wild stud. Um, they gelded him and then they put him into what they, they have a training facility. They put him in and within five hours, he was being led around with a bridle and not stomping or doing anything. You can take a horse that's wild, never been touched. And in five days, you can be riding it. Hmm. That's, but there, you have to spend the time. You have to understand the mental capacity of a horse and you have to understand what you're doing. And they put them in what they call a wheat box and they fill the wheat box up. So the horse can't jump rear or do anything. And his head is the only thing that's left open and they handle them. They handle his head. They slip bridles on it. It's repetitive asking. And a horse perceives either fear or okay. And if you, once you eliminate fear as a human from a horse, they're pretty docile. You know, it just takes a while to get them accustomed to being what they naturally are. Yeah. You know, that's what they're for.
0: And it's illegal to re-release them. Oh, into,
1: absolutely. I, you cannot no. re-release them out. No. Okay.
0: Because I could see the group. just. Not happening. No. Yeah. No. Okay okay um yeah you know i i watched a i think it was a documentary or something some i can't remember the guy's name what the was heck the is his name poor. they no they they got some wild horses and they rode them from like texas to montana oh okay uncharted or something have you seen that no it's maybe 10 years ago or something like that but they 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 got some wild horses and and broke them in or and they ended up riding them literally across cross country i think from from texas to montana or something like to the the canadian border but it was a romantic venture i get it yeah it was pretty interesting um okay so i stopped you there i just wanted to you know clarify you know exactly what's happening you know with these with these horses so um con- continue on so what what are we where are we now if right i haven't now, missed anything yeah what's yeah. what's happening now so horses have been removed um that worked yeah. and um but now there's some there's always pushback but now there's something else going on it seems yeah
1: like. senator raul grahalba who's from tucson arizona as a matter of fact he's chair of the house natural resources committees and on friday they dropped a new bill, which would offer amendments to the Wild Horse and Burrow Act. It was poorly crafted. And anytime you see something poorly crafted, it generally means it was designed to confuse and obfuscate something. Uh, And the whole intent of this, it has the support and backing of the American Wild Horse campaign. Suzanne Roy is the uh, individual who's the lobbyist for them. And she does a remarkable job of um, I got to think of the correct terminology for this. Um, dedicating the grand notion of the last vestiges of the wild West to the uneducated public. And quite frankly, it's it's a lie.
0: She's a great and marketer.
1: Yeah, yeah, she does a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's going to happen now is is that we need Howell again. and, and I'll tell you something. politicians are very unique. And the aspect of they—they they always give pushback if they get pushback from the public, and so you know, it, how all the for the last three times that you and I have had conversations about submitting anything, the response by your group has been phenomenal. And the cool part about it is is that given a modicum of education regarding issues and the way to state your position politely has had phenomenal success and not, you know, CBD or, or the horse advocates, the CBD is good about making sure that they've got their bases covered because they're in Washington all the time. The horse advocates will send 10,000 letters, but they're all the same letter. Yeah. It only gets counted as one letter, as I think, you know,
0: Yeah.
1: but the way you do it and the things that have happened with all the support from all over the country from the Howell group, has been phenomenally and recognized. Here's a little kicker too. Here in Arizona, our Arizona Game and Fish Department has basically been silent for a period of about seven years. And you know part of it was, now that it's after the fact, the governor, whether it was his spouse or his financial backers, were extreme horse advocates and were told to stay away from commenting publicly. Our governor is soon to be out the door, Governor Doug Ducey, and our commissioners told our Arizona Game and Fish Department we need to start commenting because it's gotten to the point where it's critical mass. They are destroying habitat. We are seeing reductions of animals. Strategic locations that used to be what they call alternative management units are starting to become void of of elk and deer. And that's, that's the first sign that there's a tipping point and there's an imbalance.
0: Well, and it's not good for the horses either, because sooner or later, if they keep going, they won't have any more habitat for themselves, right?
1: Well, how far can they wander? That's the key. Right. They have a 19,000 acre designation in the Siguris portion of the forest. Currently, they occupy or have been spotted in over 350,000 acres of land. That's how far they've spread out from their base. They are all over the place and they are... Um, they look at humans with a degree of impunity. That's amazing. They are not afraid of humans in any way, shape or form. Got it. That's a a danger to all of us.
0: Um, there's obviously there's some costs. No, how how much, how much, how much does this cost? Who who's paying taxpayer? What, what is this?
1: Well, obviously, and here's, here's the, the sad part. I went back into early 2000s, you know, when they had 35,000 horses in storage. Now they've got over 40 some thousand in storage. By the, uh, by the Wild Horse and Burrow Act's own estimates, the government's estimates, if they have a horse and they keep it in their facility for 25 years holding, and they've got at least 20,000 that have been in holding that long, it costs them $50,000 over the lifetime of that horse To keep it and to keep it safe. $50,000 per one horse. We have 40,000 horses in storage currently, and that number is going to grow. That's $2 billion over the lifetime of a 25-year program. Each year, the Wild Horse and Burrow Act requires extra money. This year, they're approaching a budget of over $150 million just to administer this one year. That does not include litigation. That does not include the current horse removal that we're doing. This is just the Wild Horse and Burrow Act. All of this is extraneous. It is a mountain of money. And here's a, a, a sick example of how bad things are. Have you ever been to a zoo?
0: Mm-hmm. You've seen yes, the big I have.
1: You've seen lions and tigers and leopards and cheetahs, right? Yeah. A long time ago, they discovered that these big cats did not fare well on beef. So they had to feed them horses because horse meat is the only acceptable because it's leaner, doesn't have fat and it's capable of digestion. We have to import all the food for these big cats all across the United States from out of country because we have no facility to put down an animal and create what they call horse logs. So we're importing all of this to feed our big cats and an outrageous cost. I mean that's the level of insanity that we've reached in this country.
0: So horses are still are still uh sacred in this country. I was gonna bring that up because it is there are other countries where horse meat's like a a, oh a, a main source of protein. Of protein. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean obviously it's, Canada, not, it's not it's not here but
1: Canada eats it particularly in the French regions of Montreal and Quebec up in that area. Oh, Basically. do they? Oh yeah. In so, Canada. Oh. Yeah. Um Japan. Did Japan mm-hmm. Canada, yeah. Susi, uh Austria, Hungary, Germany, Czechoslovakia, all of those countries they eat horse meat. It's healthier food than beef.
0: Yeah. I mean yeah, meat meat is uh, I I agree. I don't I really don't hold animals on a, on a, on like a scale of, of hierarchy or anything. It's, it's either, you know, I look at a bear the same way I look at a, a, a Turkey in a sense. Um just, there's more meat on a bear, you know, but it's, it's I mean, an I'm animal that my, I can, I hunt yeah. elk,
1: I hunt bear, I hunt yeah. deer. And I, the, the sad fact is is that every animal on the landscape in a national forest is harvested or removed Based on habitat degradation. Consequently, if a if a rancher has, you know, they buy their Uh, allotments and they have different pastures. They have to rotate them. They cannot have habitat below a certain marginal level, or they're forced to remove them, or they get fined. The only animal out there in the whole of the United States that is not removed is horses.
0: So why is it different? If we feel one way about one species or or whatnot, why is it? And it's and it's all about protecting habitat. Why is it a different rule for horses? Yeah, that does seem a little that does seem a little wild. I mean, I get it because it's a social thing.
1: Well, I mean, do you know any little girl who didn't want a pony growing up? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I- here's a, and you can call me misogynistic if you want. I don't care. There is a t- statistic: ninety percent of horse ownership or management in the United States is by women
0: and it could be from the cultural perspective of what you what you yeah. said you know as as a little a little girl you know they all wanted horses and all that it could be it, it's kind of the same i i think it's the the idea that we have about bear and certain animals has to do with disney
1: yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know?
0: um you know they haven't whatever i want to yeah but you know what i mean yeah. um a- anthropomorphism
1: yes um Oh, that's the other thing. They The the woman who runs the Salt River, her name's Simone Netherland, for all 400 horses that she has, they, they have them cataloged, they have pictures, and they have names for all of them. She has gone up to Alpine, where she had never been, she needed directions on how to get to Alpine because she'd never been there in her life. She went up there in March, and she started a band of people to name horses and name bands so that... It's as you say, anthropomorphism. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I get that. It's the it's that emotional attachment.
1: Yeah, and that's what she's thriving for. Hmm.
0: Okay. So, so what you're saying now is there is there is this bill, and we can get involved on this now. Involved Absolutely. The-
1: Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to send you um, uh, Congressman Grijalva's email address after we're done. Okay. And each state if you have to take a look at it, but Nevada, California, Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, those country, those states, they all have vested interests. Some of them are smart politicians who say no, we have to do the right thing. Others are leaning on the vote bandwagon. Um, I commented to my personal uh one who was also a co-signer, his name is David Schweikert from here in Scottsdale. And in talking to their people, you have to understand, um, Congressmen don't talk to us. They have aides who talk to us. Yeah, It's the aides who help make a determination as to what's going to happen. And then it's the lead source on their natural resources advisor who may or may not be a horse advocate themselves. The only thing that makes any sense to them is when they get flooded, whether it's in support or whether it's against what their current position is. And that is the critical nature of what Howell does. And you're the voice that we've never had And I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you have been able to do, but all of your members, all of us together have done that. I've signed on to yours. You've known that I've signed on some of the things that you request. That's our power. That's our base. And that's how we make change.
0: That's awesome to hear, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. It really really is. Um, And especially coming from um, someone like yourself that has been involved for so long, Um, that's because you've seen things come and go, and and you, uh, you've been certainly one of the individuals who has recognized that what we are doing, the difference in what we are doing, um, yeah. and it takes somebody who's involved to recognize it. Otherwise, people don't they don't know they don't know the process, they don't know the back end process and all that. So I, I really appreciate that. How
1: many hours of work you put into this each week? It's got to be amazing. But I will tell you this: you are gaining a reputation. And I think that every state wildlife agency, uh, I know Arizona Game and Fish Department has become cognizant of who you are, particularly when you came to their meeting this year regarding mountain lions. Yeah, That was critical. And I can't tell you how much they raved about the fact that all the people who came, the lion hunters, and sometimes you hold your breath when, when lion guys come into a meeting in public, you know, oh Lord, what are they going to say? But they were polite. They were informed. Yeah. They stayed on point and they did everything that was supposed to be done. And every commissioner talked to me afterwards and said, My God, that's the best meeting I've ever been to. And that's out of five commissioners who have been around a while.
0: Right. Now I I I did hear some of that. Um, and that's you know, we've that's not the first time I yeah, it, that's such a great um testimony because that's what we want to that's what we want to happen and it's just getting people engaged you know
1: well engaged uh, and educated
0: and, and educate them and just show them the paths and how to get engaged because it's really it's not that hard no um and i'm learning that i really didn't know anything before this i just had an idea about the technology technological side uh, the technology side of this whole thing. I had an idea about that. I don't know how commissions work and how legislation works. I, it wasn't, I've been inv- involved in a few bills. So I had kind of a basic idea, but um no, this is great. And I mean, that's why we partner with people like you and other organizations. And we've, we've made some pretty huge strides with um coalitions and in, in yes. different states in our own state. And um cause I, I want the people who know what's going on to be involved. And it's just like, well, we have this tool you might be able to use. And, and, yeah, and hopefully. You might they... want
1: to think about using this tool here.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I, yeah. That's what I, it reminds me of the joke. You've got a, a guy, a King and he's sitting there and he's looking at the battlefield and these all these guys who are throwing spears at each other. And there's a salesman there who's got a machine gun. He goes, I can't be bothered. I'm fighting a battle now. Yeah. Uh, duh.
0: Yeah. No, that's, I've thought about that same scenario so many times. Um, so why? I think it's an easy one, but you know, why do we need people to get involved in this, in this issue? Um,
1: I, I, honest to God, we are at a tipping point habitat wise all across the West, and yeah. I mean, quite frankly, the horse advocates always always blame the cattlemen, and it is such an absurd statement. Uh, I know cattle, people who have owned allotments. I mean, these guys put their life savings into purchasing a lot of these allotments. They work them. They put in the dirt tanks. They salt, you know, they put the bentonite down in the bottoms and they till it in so it holds water. Then you have horse groups that come in, wild horses who the advocates don't pay hardly a penny for. They come in, drain it. Then it bakes out and it cracks and you have to redo everything again because once you crack bentonite in the, in the seal on the bottom opens up, the water just runs through if, it's a, if there's a rain. We have been blessed with two consecutive summers of monsoons where things are good. But even still, we still had to haul hundreds of thousands of gallons of water. The horse advocates don't do that. They have no concept of terms of conservation. The only thing they do is they worship the horse. Yeah. Get the passion for advocacy. But when it is single species at the destruction of all other species, that's where I draw the line.
0: Mm, I like that. A single species at the destruction of all other species. Yeah. No. That's that, what it is. That makes sense. This is um conservation over preservation of one species that doesn't preserve the other species, though. So it's yeah, it's even worse. Um uh so you're gonna say okay. No, I had I I really didn't know if we needed to get involved right now. So um so you'll send me that info and we'll, we will develop that action. Yes. Um, and, and get that. Is this still an, is this an Arizona specific issue? No, No. now it's not. No, this,
1: the one for that Grijalva is doing in Congress in Washington, DC affects every state in the West. Ah, okay. That's the key. If they changed the Wild Horse and Burrow Act, if they amend it the way this thing is laid out, you wouldn't be able to have roundups in anything other than designated as more yeah. humane. That means no helicopters, no flights, no drones. They didn't want mass stampeding. They don't want drives going on. The only way would be baiting, which works on our end because we're in not in the desert. We're up in the mountains in a forest where they're not supposed to be anyhow. But you get the sagebrush, good luck. How are you going to gather up horses that way over thousands of acres? Mm -hmm. If this changes, it'll be the death knell for a lot of wildlife. And I think, you know, now that burrows are taking away food from sheep, antelope, everything. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes on with horses now. Um, I wish there was something that would change, but you have to understand horses don't have a natural predator. Once in a blue moon, a mountain lion may get a colt. But even that's dubious because the stud's gonna try and protect the band and their herd mentality, they're gonna kick the crap out of anything that comes in on them. Yeah. You know that. I yeah. know that now because I've been charged as well. It's not yeah. fun.
0: No, no, it's not. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if I have any other questions. Is there anything else to add on this?
1: You know, the big thing is is that people need to understand that. What sounds good, you have to investigate. And we have done enough investigation. I've been on this. I never thought I would see a horse removed from the national forest in my lifetime. I've been on it for 18 years since the 2002 Rodeo Cheddar fire here in Arizona. That's actually 20 years now. And in 2004, I started writing about it. And I write articles for outdoor magazines, uh, Western Hunter, and some of the others. And they they understand the problem. And once in a while, you can you can put something like that out. But it's a touchy subject. People don't want to hear yeah. about bad things about their beautiful horses. Mm-hmm. But you have to be educated with no known predators, and everything else is reduced everywhere to keep it in a balance. Right now, you, we have a unit called Three C. That unit has dropped 600 tags between deer and elk over the last 10 years. 600 tags that are no longer there because there are no elk and deer. A lot of the elk will come over from the reservation to breed cows. This year, when we were up there and you saw the bull we got, it was, he only had two cows with him and he was a big old bull. They, the number of animals is dwindling each year. Their surveys are showing it and their surveys are showing there are more and more horses. Eventually it will be all only horses.
0: Less tags, less money for conservation. Totally. Um,
1: spectrum and we don't get any money for talking about horses
0: right is is there a sustainable number of horses you know to be on the landscape is there is there anything like that i mean is is there a percentage like if it was cut down where they're off the 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 landscape um you know the the wild landscape um where Everything kind of works in harmony, you know, in a sense, like what is the, what's the perfect scenario?
1: The perfect scenario is, is to do habitat and forage monitoring the right way. And if there's an imbalance, you, you remove everything that is causing it. And quite frankly, there has been no removal of horses for over 20 years in the Apache Sitgreaves forest. And that has become a huge issue. There's nothing left. You have to remove horses and whether, I mean, I, at what point do we as a nation say, this is silly. Some horses have to go. They need to be either fed to people. I mean, we could solve our hunger problem immediately. And then people will go, oh, my God, that's desecrating. Hey, I love elk. I love deer. I love antelope. I love right. all of God's little creatures, but I don't worship them. Yeah, and a yeah. horse is simply another one of those creatures. Do I want stallion medallions for dinner one night? i mean if it comes to that i'd do it
0: i I would i would certainly try it why wouldn't i i love elk
1: i know that before the wild horse and burrow act here in arizona yeah the desert bighorn sheep society had projects they'd take down a burrow and they'd have burrow burritos for the whole three or four days that they were up there and then they'd take the rest freeze it and they'd use it the next time they had a project yeah it was considered better for them food wise Mm. and that's what they do now since 73 nobody does anything sure and That's the problem you've had 50 years of inaction in terms of monitoring other than the removals which the blm does and that's not enough i think a hundred thousand horses in the west is all that there should be but that includes tribal state lands everything
0: if there's three hundred thousand you think a hundred thousand is all there should be yes yeah at, the max. at the max yeah yeah i was at just wondering if that's been yeah and what's sustainable yeah exactly
1: and I'm not a biologist but I know that it's not 300,000. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that right away. Yeah. And the tribal lands, I mean even the tribes some of the tribes won't even tell us how many horses they have because I don't think they know. Now the, the Navajo do because it's more wide open. They know there.
0: Are, are the tribes in in support of 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 managing these horses? Do you know is, is there
1: Um I can't say for your podcast but let's just put it this way they strongly believe in, um, managing their horse herds.
0: I probably know why. Yeah. I could think of a few reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. when you go oh. to
1: the white mountain Apache tribe and you want to hunt Maverick camp and they charge yeah. you $25,000 for one tag, Yeah. you have to wait in line for 20 years to get into that spot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that's they That's what I was, them. that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. It affects them the same way. Yeah. yeah. Um, this has been awesome yeah thank you
1: thank you man look, i appreciate um, the opportunity
0: yeah we'll get this out there you know one of the th- issues like i said myself um i don't think people a lot of people have no idea that there's there is a, there is an issue with feral horses wild horses whatever burrows you name it um it's been and, and it's not you know something that we hunt so of course people they they don't see it as affecting something that they hunt And that's where I think what we need to do here is this is affecting everything that you hunt actually. And this is why you need to be engaged, um, on this, on this topic and learn more about it. It's, this is a really interesting topic. And I think this is the best that I've heard, um, on this subject. I guess I haven't spent a whole bunch of time listening, but I've heard a few different podcasts on wild horses, but this is the most informative, uh, uh, po- you know podcast or whatever you want to call it uh, that I've heard on this issue because <laughs> every time I talk to you on the phone I'm like we got to do a- you're telling me these things I'm like why aren't we doing a podcast you're this is amazing info you know um and you know, the- this is this <laughs> is what needs to get out there because every time I talk to you I learn something and and I'm like if I if I'm learning something I know somebody else wants to learn something so we got to get that out there
1: thank you for that opportunity yeah you know the hardest part for me is when i When I'm elk hunting or deer hunting, and I've done both in this area that there are so many concentration of horses, it's really sad to walk up to a dirt tank and the dirt tank is empty, but you see massive, and a stud pile is basically a stallion who is showing his position, sewing his structure, and he takes massive dumps in one spot. It's called a stud pile. Hmm. He marks his territory that way. Literally 80% of what we see out there now are uh, horse droppings, and the rest is whatever else is there. And I've known one cattle rancher who went from for-profit for cattle ranching to a hobbyist to abandoning his allotment in the Heber area because of the horses. That's when you start taking people's livelihood away. That's an issue. So
0: of course, yeah. Well, perfect. Um, I think that wraps it up. We'll get this. We'll get this out there, and I will be talking to you probably a lot in the near future as we develop these actions and, um, yeah, have a good evening.
1: All right, Charles. Thank you so much, man. Thank you everybody at home, man. You guys are great.
0: Thank you. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. All right. Like I said in the beginning, we do not, as of November 2nd, 2022, we do not have a current action on this. It is not needed, but, uh, it, When there is one needed, we will have that for you. Thanks a lot again. Later.